Now, we've just come out of Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're coming up on, I believe it falls on June 5th this year, which is Pentecost Sunday, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and really the beginning of the church. Uh, that's really when the church started and took off, and it was uh, through and by the power of the Holy Ghost that that happened. But there were some things that happened in between the cross and Pentecost. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk about this morning, is, is that time frame between the cross and Pentecost. And if I had to put a title with it this morning, it would be Just Wait. Just Wait. To start reading this morning, and you can turn with me, and I forgot to give her scripture, so I don't know if she'll be able to get it up or not. But I'm going to read Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. And if you would, as you find that in your Bible, if you would, please stand for the reading of the word. And we're going to kind of continue in this Pentecostal winds series with this. 24, verse 44, in Luke, said, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, you know, usually when I say that behold, I behold, because that's why it's there. It's to get your attention, to make you listen. I send the promise of my Father upon you. But, tarry. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, if we put that into today's terms, tarry ye in your home church until you be endued with power from on high. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we are free and able together to worship you. Lord, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would endue us with power. Lord, that our lives and our words and our actions would honor you in such a way that as we ask for this blessed promise, that Lord, you grant it to us. Lord, let what we do honor and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I'm going to have to get a sturdier pulpit or quit beating on this one, one or the other. Can you imagine what it was like for the disciples? They went on what we call Good Friday. Peter denied Christ. The rest of them scattered, and it seems that John alone actually went and watched the actual act of the crucifixion along with a few of the women. 
They're scattered. They have given three, three and a half years of their life. They have risked everything to follow this man named Jesus. You see, it's not like today. When we walk into the church house today, we're really not risking anything. Yes, we may lose a friend or two. We might have someone laugh at us that think they're so enlightened that it's crazy to follow any kind of religion. But we're really not risking anything. You see, of all of these disciples, they all suffered some form of persecution and all but one of them was martyred later on in life. They put great things at risk. They risked their very life to be able to follow this man called Jesus. We see from uh, the man born blind in John chapter 9, his parents were afraid to admit that Jesus was who he said he was because they were afraid they would get thrown out of the synagogue. They were afraid people would make him an outcast and they would no longer be able to have a way of life. You see, they risk job, they risk money, they risk life, they risk absolutely everything to follow Jesus, and now all of a sudden he is arrested, put on trial, stuck on a cross, and stuck in a grave. The very one that they had followed had died. Now we know from reading scripture that they went to the tomb on that third day. And on that third day, I found it remarkable. I was going through and looking at each individual gospel, and there was one thing that was fairly uh, consistent throughout, that every time it was a woman that announced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in one of the gospels, we do have Peter attending with them, but it was still the women that it was revealed to first. It was still them that went out and preached that Christ has risen. But I'm going to go through a little bit of each one of these Gospels because I think it's important for us to understand some of the little details that pop up when you start looking at this time between the cross and Pentecost. Now in John, I think it gives us the, the most important information outside of what we find in Luke, so we'll save those two for last. But in Matthew, it's over in chapter 28, and you can go back and read it, or you can try to follow along with just a point or two that I'm going to make. We see that it was women that went to the tomb and found it empty, and that they were the very first ones to announce that the tomb is empty, that the one that they had risked their lives to serve had indeed done what he said he was going to do, and he was resurrected. He was no longer in the ground. That's Matthew 28 and 8. But what is interesting is when you look in that chapter that there are some that try to explain away that the resurrection, the power of the resurrection in Christ. When you look in verses 11 through 15, it says that they were going, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. 
And understand what the last part of that verse is saying. Your words have impact far beyond your generation today. If you raise your kids up and you tell them that going to church is silly, I don't know why grandma and grandpa go, it will carry for generations. How do I know? Because it says they took the money, did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. When they went out and they told people that Jesus Christ really had not risen from the grave, they created doubt in that atmosphere. They created a generation of people that passed along false information to the next generation. Your words in your home and in your home city and in your communities have impact. Now they went on and the 11 disciples were still there, they had went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. As we read through the other tales, we see that they were told to go and that Jesus would meet them in Galilee at a very specific spot. But it was here, and this is, understand that this is between the cross and Pentecost. In other words, it's somewhere between salvation and baptism of the Holy Ghost. If we're looking at it in our current and modern church times, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is your salvation. There's salvation to be had in no other name under heaven other than that of Jesus Christ. The blood of bulls and goats and heifers are of no effect anymore. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to make you justified and legally right to stand before God Almighty and have your case pleaded by Jesus Christ, the only intermediary between God and man. This happened after that, but yet the Holy Spirit had not fully come. Pentecost has not happened yet, and still Jesus looked at them and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Just because you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost does not mean you cannot work in the kingdom of God. Now, I cannot put you in leadership. We get that from Acts chapter 6, I believe it is, that the disciples, the apostles had got to a place where they simply could not tend to all the business of the local church. It had grew so rapidly and so fast they couldn't do everything themselves. So they finally had to look at the people and say, look, it's not good that I go and wait tables. You need to find seven men full of the Holy Ghost to lead. But now, leading and working in the kingdom is two entirely different things. If you are saved, you need to be working in the kingdom. He was talking to those that knew that the cross had already happened and those that had accepted the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he told them, go tell people about me. Go, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Life is going to happen. Let me, can I tell you, every one of those that he was talking to suffered. Legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to be killed in the exact same manner as his 
Lord. One of them is reputed to have been sawed in half. All of them but John suffered death at the hands of someone else for the cause of Jesus Christ. John is uh, supposed to have been boiled in oil and exiled to the Isle of Patmos away from everyone, which is where we get the book of Revelation. He was on that aisle when he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I don't know where we have come in Christianity to think that if you just come serve Jesus that you're going to have a million dollars and that everybody's going to love you and everything's going to be okay and every relationship's going to be automatically repaired. All of that is not biblical. It says, when they hate you, understand that they hated me first. Understand that when you start serving me, you're going to suffer trials and tribulations. You're going to be persecuted. There's only one that ever came that got through it all without sin, and that was Jesus Christ. Yet somehow we think everything is supposed to be rosy. Anyway, let me get back on point. In Mark, we see pretty much the same thing. It was the women that first discovered. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher and at the rising of the sun. And they were wondering who rolled the stone away. This is Mark chapter 16. But what's interesting is in Mark, the disciples showed great disbelief. You see, each time the women were told, go tell the disciples. Now understand, but disciples, I'm saying followers of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about people that had accepted the blood of Christ. In other words, saved folk. Church folk. Church folk. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, but had not seen, they didn't believe. Because it says they had been seen of her. 16.11 in Mark, they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, they believed not. Why did they believe not? Because they hadn't seen with their own eyes. A very follower of Jesus Christ did not believe that he was doing what he said he was going to do because they hadn't seen. Sometimes between the cross and Pentecost, we get the same way. And even after Pentecost, sometimes we have great difficulty in being able to understand and see the things that we need to see of God. We have great difficulty in hearing and discerning the things of the Spirit that we need to see. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that's okay and it's perfectly normal and it's perfectly natural that even Peter and James and John, which were the three inner circle of Jesus Christ, Christ, the ones that had walked up onto the mountaintop with him and seen him transfigured, the ones that were willing to get out, Peter was, and walk on water, the ones that Christ took with him at his most intimate moments, looked at those that came and told him that Jesus Christ is alive, and they said, we don't believe it. It's okay for church folks sometimes to have a little bit of doubt or, or have trouble and struggle with understanding. Why? Because that is what happens in life. It is what happened to the very ones. Can you imagine walking and holding the hand of Jesus Christ for three years? Seeing every miracle that he 
done. Watching him go into the upper room where that little girl lay dead and he told her, little girl, arise. And you watch the dead come back to life. You watch him go to the tomb of Lazarus, who even his sisters had doubted and said, God, we can't move the stone. Jesus, we can't move it because he stinks. He's been dead for four days. But you are sitting first hand, first row, and you see him say, Lazarus, come forth. And you are one of the very ones that have to take the wraps off of a dead man that had been laying in a grave for four days. And yet when someone tells you that he conquered the grave himself, you say, I don't believe it. Now, other church folk, because we're more holy than you, will look at you and say, you ought not doubt God like that. I'm telling you, Peter doubted him. When he seen him raise people from the dead, he couldn't believe that he himself come out of the grave. I'm telling you that James, who was standing by when he seen Lazarus come forth, didn't believe he could do it himself. I'm telling you that Peter, who's seen this little girl rise up from the dead, didn't believe that Jesus could do it for himself. I'm telling you it's normal for the, even your hardened, seasoned disciples to struggle and doubt a little bit. But can I tell you that if you have that personal encounter, that will change things. That's what it took for them. If you read on in Mark, it says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. And he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Oh, God, I know you healed Susie down the road of cancer, but I don't think you'll do it for me. Saint, that's what they done. God, I know you raised Lazarus. I know you raised that little girl, but I don't believe you're doing it now. God, I know you healed everybody, but I don't believe you're doing it now. I've seen you work a miracle for such and such down the road, but I don't believe you do it anymore. He upbraided them because they didn't believe them which had seen. You've seen it, you need to believe it. He is no respecter of persons. If he'd done it for someone else, he can do it for you too. But he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. In other words, these that had not yet been filled with the Holy Ghost was commanded to go tell people that Jesus Christ lives and he saves. That is the most basic gospel message that you can share. And if you've been saved for one minute, one year, or 100 years, you need to be able to communicate that Jesus Christ is alive and that he is the only way into heaven. Go. If you're saved, you need to go and you need to tell people that Jesus is alive. You need to go tell people that they can't be saved under any other name but Jesus Christ. You don't have to know all of the theology. You don't have to know all of the Bible. All you need to know right now is that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ saves. And that in Jesus Christ you can have eternal life. You can live in heaven forever. But apart from Jesus that you will suffer in hell for an eternity. That's all the theology, all the Bible you need to know at minute one. And you can go tell someone about Jesus. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. But I like this next part. 
These signs shall follow them that believe. Shall. Shall. Not might. Shall. In my name shall they cast out devils. You want to know how to, someone to get free? You want to know how someone gets broken from the bondages that they're in? Get rid of the devils that's in them. It's pretty much that simple. They shall speak with new tongues. It doesn't say this is what shall follow my apostles here. This shall follow every new believer. That they shall be able to cast out devils. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents. I'm not about to handle no snake. Don't, don't worry. And if they drink any deadly thing, it should not hurt them. We should not tempt God. Let me be clear. But there are some things in your life that you're going to come across that's going to try to do you harm. It could be an actual physical snake like Paul encountered on Malta. And the people thought he was a god because he got bit but didn't die. He didn't take up that snake on purpose. It just happened to get a hold of him. It was in his life and it tried to kill him. There's going to be some things that you take into your body by mistake that you know you ought not, but you don't know what's in it. And it, if here, it's not going to hurt you. That shall happen. But they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now in John, we have a little bit different of a look, and I'm trying to, trying to work through this, but I think we need to understand some things, some background. See, I ain't even got to my text yet. I really ain't. I ain't went back to Luke yet. I went through Matthew and Mark. We still got John and Luke to go. John chapter 20, I love me some John. Here's Mary Magdalene. When it was yet dark, she went down to the sepulcher and seen that the stone was rolled away. Now I love her faith right here. I love her faith. She didn't look but I hate that her faith was in the wrong thing. You see, sometimes we just need to run and we know that God's done did something. We'll figure out what it was here in a little bit. Sometimes that's the way life happens. We know God's done did something. We don't know what. We feel a touch from the Lord and we don't know if He healed our knee or our elbow. But we got a touch and we know something has happened and we'll figure it out in a little while. Mary Magdalene come to the tomb, and buddy, she seen the stone rolled away, and she didn't even look. She just took off running. But what she said after just pains me a little. She said, they have taken him away, and we don't know where they laid him. So Peter's the one, and the one whom Jesus loved, and they're the ones that went and looked. And Simon Peter here is where he see the linen clothes laying and the napkin that was about his head folded and in a separate place by itself. 
So here, Peter and them see the empty tomb first, but it's remarkable that they are not the ones to whom anything is revealed. You see, it's Mary that's standing outside the sepulcher, and even in her heirs, God still comes down and looks to her and reveals himself to her. And she is the one that went and told the disciples that she's seen the Lord. Verse 18. But here, the disciples get the chance to see and believe. We get recorded where they actually see for themselves. But you see, you can infer that even though Mary had seen and told them, they still didn't believe until God encountered them himself. Some of you need an encounter from God so you can believe that he can do it for you too. He might have done it for such and such down the street. And it's okay to doubt that you might not ever see anything because I don't know what God's going to do for you, but I know that God can encounter you. And if he don't heal you, he can give you peace that your healing is coming anyway. If he's not going to pour out money a, a bunches on you here, I can assure you that walking streets of gold and living in a mansion in heaven is more than you can ever hear here anyway. I don't know what he will do for you, whether he will give it to you here and there, or whether he'll just give you peace in the here and now about what's coming in the hereafter. It can be either one, but I know that it's never, neither one's going to happen unless you have your own encounter. If you keep relying on the, what someone else has said, Mary came to him and said, I seen the Lord, they had to see for themselves. In verses 11 through 18, or 19 through 31, let me get my notes straight. Because he appeared unto them, And we can understand that even in their doubt that they were saved because Jesus looked at them and breathed on them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. That's where we find this at. So we understand that they already believed and we could surmise that they were indwelt with the Holy Spirit already even in their unbelief and doubt. They believed Jesus was who he said he was. They just didn't believe he had already done some of what he said he was going to do. That's where a lot of church folks are at. We're in between the cross and Pentecost. We know what he done yesterday. We know that the church of yesterday was great. We know that finding bobby pins in the back of the church and someone being laid out in the spirit up front and in between the two, someone running the backs of pews has happened and the churches have been full. We believe yesterday. We believe that God is who he said he is. But for some reason, we don't believe that what he told Joel and what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost is still happening. That in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh the last days are not over we are in them but they ain't over they started on the day of pentecost they started at the day of the cross the last day started then peter and james and john and paul and matthew and all of these others fully expected to see jesus christ come back in their day that was the start of the last days. And the Spirit has not stopped because the promise of God is that in our day, in the last days, that His Spirit shall be poured out upon all flesh. But somehow we're still caught between the cross and Pentecost. We believe it happened yesterday, but we doubt that it can happen today. 
Now in John, you also get some additional appearances. Disciples just going about their daily life. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now he was a fisherman. He was, in other words, he was going to work. He was going to provide for his family. I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. I could preach it that there is. But I believe in all sincerity that Peter was just doing what he had to do day to day. He wasn't going fishing out of disrespect or even unbelief. He was just fulfilling his daily life. But I find it remarkable that even after they had the encounter with Jesus Christ, that when someone standing on the bank said, you need to cast your net over here, that he still didn't recognize the voice and face of Jesus. He still didn't recognize it. said, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith to Peter, it is the Lord. They didn't even know who was talking to him, and they had just encountered him. Is this helping anybody this morning that it's okay for your doubt? It's okay for your misunderstanding, it's okay for your lack of discernment sometimes. That all of this happened not to some regular Joe in a church in West Virginia. This happened to ones that walked with Jesus. And they still didn't recognize. They still didn't know. They still had trouble seeing and discerning what was going on. But now I'm going to go to Luke, and I'm going to try to wrap this up here in the next hour or three. You see, in Luke, we have pretty much the same thing that goes on. We have that women come and find an empty tomb, and we have it as the women that go and announce that Jesus Christ is alive. We still have people that don't believe. Peter went and checked for himself, but he still wondered and was still trying to figure it all out. Peter, the one that got out of the boat and walked on water, is still trying to figure it out. We have Cleopas walking the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and Simon. And they're walking with Jesus. And it says that they are ones, they're not one of the twelve, but they are ones that knew Jesus and had walked with Him. And yet here they are walking the road to Emmaus, talking to Jesus hand in hand, and don't know who He is. They're, they're not able to figure it out. The eleven, even being told twice, they still had to have their own encounter before they fully believed. You see, 45, it says, Then opened he their understanding. But he had already appeared to them, and he told them, Here, check my hands. Look at my side. I'm the very one that hung on a cross and died for you, and I am alive. He had walked on the road with them. He had talked to them. 
And yet they still did not understand until verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead on the third day. Verse 47 is so simple and to me interesting. Repentance and remission of sins. You don't get one without the other. You cannot have remission of your sins unless you pray and you repent and you turn from them. Now we like to think of that as hellfire and brimstone. But I'm here to tell you it is also hope. Why? Because if you don't repent, if you don't turn, you have no remission of your sins. Now, remission of sins means that God looks down and He's got a written record of all the stupidity that you've ever done in your life. And when He offers remission, they're erased. They are no longer there. He's not going to hold you accountable for it once it's under the blood. When you repent, you get remission of sins. Now, here's the hope. You've got remission of sins. There is hope in Jesus Christ. If you will turn to Him, He will blot out everything you've ever done. And in that remission of sins, you have entrance and a sure promise in heaven that you will be able to get before the throne of God and bow down before Him and praise Him and cast your crowns of righteousness at His feet that God Himself will reach down and care for you. You see, there's a hope and a promise. But it also says we should be preaching this in His name to everyone, starting here. Starting here. Beginning in Jerusalem. For us, it's starting here. Starting in your home. Starting with your own people. Why? Because you're witnesses of these things. Why? You've done seen people... Blessed and touched by God. You've seen people healed. You've seen medical miracles. You've seen financial miracles. You've seen people set free. You've seen people come out from under addictions. You've seen what God can do in your life because He has changed you. Because you have seen these things, you need to go preach that Jesus Christ is alive, that He is risen, that He has set you free, that He will save your soul. If you are saved, if you understand the cross, you need to be telling people this. But it does not stop there. Once you start doing these things, once you start doing these things, then behold, I will send the promise. Why would He send a promise to you if all you're going to do is sit down on a pew and never tell anybody? Now that ain't popular. I probably have a lot of Church of God preachers take me to task for it, but I'm just reading the Word as I see it. He said, you need to go get to work. Then behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you. You are already indwelt with the Spirit. You can't get saved without the Holy Ghost. Paul and John both tell us that you can't even confess that Christ is Lord unless the Holy Ghost makes you confess it. You're already indwelt with the Spirit. That's why he said in John, receive ye the Holy Ghost. 
But here he's saying, once you start doing these things that I'm calling you into, once you start showing me that you are putting in some effort, you see, this salvation thing is, is we don't even have a, a, a voice for it in English. We've got passive or we've got active. In other words, you're doing something or someone's doing something to you. But this whole thing of salvation is, is a middle voice. It's both active and passive. You can't do it on your own. You cannot save yourself. But God can't save you if you don't want it. You have to meet him somewhere to get the blood of Christ applied. The same thing goes with the power of the Holy Ghost. You've got to put in some effort. You've got to get up and move a little bit. You've got to do what Jesus told you to do. He didn't tell you that you had to be a scholar or a theologian or even called to pastor or preach but he did tell you you need to preach his name if you are saved if you believe in the cross he has called you to do what he's told you to do and if if when you do this behold i will send the promise but but i love those little conjunctions in the text but terry Terry, you tell your friends. You need to tell everyone around you that you got saved. That's why I don't do raising of hands. I know a lot of people, and, and look, I'm not for it or against it. I'm just telling you why I don't do it. I ain't saying it's right or wrong. But I don't do a raising of hands. Because we can have a church full of people with their heads down, and you can raise your hand, and I can put you on my report, and boy, I could have big numbers. But big numbers won't know you're saved. And salvation needs to be something where you're active in, not just passive and raising your hand. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong for these others that do it, so don't try to go telling someone that my pastor said you're wrong if you do that. No, I didn't. I'm just telling you why I don't do it. But before you go putting the cart before the horse, you need to tarry a little bit. Yes, you need to work. You need to get involved in your church. But before you go out, he said tarry. Set down. But I like the depth that that word has with it, the connotation that it has with it. You see, there wasn't often the people got to sit in those times. When they talked about sitting, they talked about people of authority being able to sit down. Rabbis sat down to teach. In other words, you've already got justification. You're already a friend and brother of Jesus Christ. You need to sit and learn. You need to sit and even tell others. It's not just sitting and doing nothing. It's sitting with some authority. Until ye be endued. I could probably go another 30 minutes, but I'm not. I'm going to wrap up with this word. I think we misunderstand the baptism of the Holy Ghost so much. You're already indwelt with the Spirit. You cannot get saved unless you are indwelt by the Spirit. It's impossible. It's in the Bible. I believe it. I've experienced it. A baptism of the Holy Ghost, for some reason, we've and, and I've heard this, and even my dad explained it this way, that the Holy Ghost will pull you to salvation, but then He'll live in you at baptism. And I think that's exactly backwards. I think that's exactly backwards because you have to be indwelt with the Holy Ghost before you can be saved. 
And if we understand the word baptism, even John the Baptist said, There is one coming one greater than I who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Baptism, baptizo, literally means to dip. To dip. When I bring you up here and I put you in this baptismal and, and I ask you if you publicly confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you say yes and I have you hold your nose in your hand and I say I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and I put you down and I bring you up, ain't nothing changed on the inside but the outside has changed. Your outside has been completely immersed and soaked in water. This word endued literally means to be clothed. To not be naked. Fully wrapped. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It didn't say in Acts that he seen cloven tongues as of fire inside people. He said he seen it resting on them. In other words, what's inside of you has to work its way out. I can't clean you up from the outside and make you holy. I can't do it. I can put the best Sunday clothes on you. I can give you a list to tell you word for word what to say to speak in the best Christianese that there is. I can tell you all the do's and don'ts and you can walk into any church house in America and they'll think you're the most sanctified saint on earth. But if you have not been changed inside, it makes no difference. But when what's inside of you has changed, and you have accepted this cross of Jesus Christ, then there should be coming a point in your life when you are gathered together with believers here in church, and the Holy Ghost will endue you with power from on high. In other words, you will speak in a brand new tongue. And what is inside your heart will have manifested itself in your life that you project to everybody that is around you. Not only will you feel inside differently, but when people look at you, they'll know that there is something different about your life. They'll know that you are not the same person that you used to be. They will know just by looking at the outside and you won't think you're doing anything different behold I send the promise of my father upon you but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high he said this to a group of people that did not believe they believed but they didn't believe it could happen again they knew that he had resurrection power, but they wasn't sure that he was resurrected. That's why I went through all that text was to tell you those simple things. These are people that followed Jesus Christ and they exhibited doubt and unbelief. And he still loved them enough that he come to them and he said, Look, I'm real, I'm risen, and I will endue you with power from on high. I'm here to tell you this morning this very same thing. Some of you may have doubt and unbelief in your life. It's okay. It's natural. It's normal. And even the best disciples in the world had it. And they walked with Jesus in the flesh. 
but He still loves you. He is still in front of you this morning telling you that He is risen. He is still in front of you telling you this morning that He is still that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He is still that one in front of you this morning bidding you to come and cover everything in your past under His blood. He is still the one that is sitting in front of you today telling you that there's no other way. There's no other name. There's no other truth. There's no other life other than in me. And even in your unbelief and even in your doubt, even in your dark moments, if you will come, I will still help you tarry and I will still endue you with power from on high. So this morning, the altar call is real simple. First and foremost, if you don't believe, I can't help you. In other words, if you've not submitted your life to Jesus Christ, I can't help you. There's no amount of counseling. There's no amount of my prayers. There's no amount of mommy and daddy's prayers. There's no amount of anything that will help you until you succumb to Christ. But for everybody else, for everybody else, God is still here. You may think that you've gone too far. You may think that in your unbelief you have somehow caused Him not to move on your behalf. You may think a lot of things in your mind just like Peter and James and John and even Mary and the other women. But even in their unbelief and doubt, He still come to them and still made them a promise. In your unbelief and doubt, He's still promising you this morning that you can still be endued with power from on high. Just wait. The altars are open this morning for whatever you may need. If you do have that doubt and unbelief, I would encourage you to come and just seek the face of the Lord. Nothing more, nothing less, just come and seek the face of the Lord. Because I believe He will speak the same promise to you that He spoke through His Word. If you have a need, come and let us pray with you and for you this morning. The altars are open.